The following story has been brought to you by StoriesToInspire.org. And I'd like to share with you two stories that highlight this idea that when a person was going through a certain calamity, if you will, they're looking up to heaven and saying, Hashem, why are you doing this to me? Why? And you see Hashem was moving all the puzzle pieces to make a very glorious future. My great-grandfather, Rebchaim Yochel Avram Sova, who was known as a very big tzaddik, many people on the Gedolei Ta'i, the, the Lithuanian Gedolim, the Chavetz Chaim, and as well as the Chazan Ish, they held on my great-grandfather, unbelievable. And my great-grandfather, he was in the Ukraine. Now, you have to understand, Ukraine, when it was on the western, the western part of Ukraine, there were a lot of Jewish communities. It was like near Poland, near white Russia. A lot of very, very, very strong Jewish communities there. And my great-grandfather, he was the rabbi from the age of 29 for the next 33 years till he was 62. He served as the rabbi of a very large, prestigious city called Tuchin. Tuchin was on the western part of Ukraine, and he was rocking it. 33 years of being an unbelievable rabbi. By the way, for you to be a rabbi at the age of 29, you had to know like everything, like Shas, Poskim, everything. So he was an unbelievable time of unbelievable enough, someone also stood up for Hashem. To me, he's a role model. That's one of the people I would like to have at my table. That's when they ask the question, who would you like to meet from either your family or you'd like to have at the Shabbat table to get to know them better? And one of them is my great-grandfather. I just, I'm so curious to know how he was. And obviously, there's a familial connection. I'm very curious to know, like, what did he do? And what's the legacy I can impart to my family and leave that legacy as well? So for the next 33 years, he was the rabbi, and then he had to leave. 62. Now, most people are 62. They're already considering retiring. 62? Why is he leaving? He was there for 33 years. Listen to this story. In Europe, it's very common practice at that time that the rabbi of the city, he would be Mesader Kedushin. He would marry off whoever it was at the town every night. If they had a wedding, it was the rabbi who officially sanctioned this wedding. If the rabbi did not go to the wedding... That meant there was a massive red flag. There was something wrong with his family, something wrong with his shidduch. And people wouldn't do shidduchim because of that. If the rabbi would be like, I don't know if I could do that. They got the hint and they knew this was not a good family. There was an extremely wealthy family. Now, I remember as a kid, my grandfather, who was the Kolkorov's son, my grandfather, he passed away when I was eight years old. And, but I remember when I was seven years old, he told me this story. I remember this, like, like as clear as day, 36 years ago, 37 years ago. He told me the story his father, he had to leave Tuchid. Why? Because there was a very wealthy family that was in textiles. And the story goes is that when they came into the Rav, my great-grandfather, and said, we want to marry off our daughter. She's our only daughter. We have only boys, but she's the only daughter, the princess of the family. And my grandfather, my great-grandfather says, oh, Mazato, very nice. When's the wedding? Okay, fine. By the way, is she going to cover her hair? Rabbi, this is Europe. Come on. Who covers the hair? This is in the swinging 20s, the roaring 20s. No one covers their hair. He says, no, we do. That you did. You cover your hair. I'm sorry. Is she planning on covering her hair? If she's not, I don't think I can come. Rabbi, no, no, no. You don't understand how it works here. You got to come. And I will not come if you're not going to cover, she's not going to cover her hair. Come on, Rabbi, can we work out a deal over here? He says, no deal. No, I'm sorry. Either she's covering her hair or she's not. So what did they do? They said, okay, we'll think about it. A few weeks pass. My great-grandfather is sitting in the Beth Knesset. He's learning. He's learning with the Talat and Tefillin almost the entire day. And suddenly a bunch of people came running in. Said, Kvarav, you heard what happened last night? What happened last night? Said, last night, this family went through the wedding. They went through the wedding? Okay, Mazalto, very nice. No, no, no. They did the wedding here in town. They did the wedding in town. And they didn't ask the Rav to do it. 
okay. He says, it's because she didn't cover her hair. She didn't cover it. He says, wait, so, okay, wait, so who married her off? So they found out that the one that married them off was the Gabay of the Bet Knesset. He had a long white beard. They went over to him. He, unfortunately, he was desperate for money. He said, we'll give you a couple bucks. Just go up and pretend you're the rabbi. Give brachot to everyone. Uh, people are amaratzim. They don't know anything. Uh, whatever you I'm the rabbi. Prestigious member of the community. People think you're the rabbi. And you're misader kedushin. You marry off the kids. So he went along with that. He said, that gabai mechutzaf. We're going to stand up for the rabbis. Now, my grandfather said, no, 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 no. Leave him alone. No, no, no. And the family in mechutzafim, the so brazen, so insolent. How dare they do that? And these are the words my grandfather said. He said, don't make a big deal about it. It's okay. No, don't make a big deal. It's not worth it. She's not going to live out the year anyway. A number of months later, this young woman, boom, dropped dead. The family was incensed. They were so enraged. You rabbi, you killed our daughter. You cursed her. How dare you? And then other people got up and says, how dare you? How dare you not use the rabbi? You deserve it. You had it coming. You back and forth, fingers wagging, people screaming. It was ripping the community apart. My great-grandfather said, this is ripping the community apart. It's destroying the community. And at 62 years old, he moved from the western part of Ukraine where he had a very comfortable life in a good city, a big city next to everything. He moved further east. And when he moved further east, a small little village called Kolki, small little hamlet, a town, very nice, sweet people. But further inland, more closer to central Ukraine. And he just moved there. And for the next seven years of his life, until he passed away at the age of 69, he lived out his last years in Kolki. This is what my, great, my grandfather told me when I was seven years old. I remember hearing that story. And upon doing research, I actually saw a story. that There was a family in Tuchin that they were very well-to-do, textiles, etc. And they unfortunately lost their only daughter. I couldn't believe when I was reading this. They lost their only daughter in the 20s. And the family was so heartbroken over such a loss, they picked themselves up and made Aliyah to Eretz Israel. And they happen to be a very wealthy family to this day. They live in Netanya in the name of the family. Okay, it said the name of the family. I was like, oh my gosh, the story's true. Like, whoa. And then suddenly it hit me like a ton of bricks. The town, the city of Tuchin had at least 100,000 Jews before the Nazis invaded. And they had the Ukrainians who were able collaborators and they made sure that many Jews suffered a very cruel and horrific death at their hands. And one of the first communities that they went and decimated was Tuchin. Out of 100,000 Jews that lived there, less than 1,000 Jews remained. And even that is the suspect. They say maybe more. They think it was even more that got killed. And it's a lot. They inflated the number because they want to say, but it was decimated. Almost everyone died. And I was saying to myself, oh my gosh. I remember hearing that my grandfather said that when they heard the atrocities that were committed in Tuchin, my grandfather was a young boy. He was around 13, 14 years old. Him and his older brother, who I'm named after, they were able to hear the Nazis around two days away. They started going on foot, fleeing on foot, going further and further east. They eventually went to Samarkand, Tashkent, and they always said the Bukharian Jews were awesome. They treated them amazing. They gave, literally gave up their beds. And, and the family household, they used to slip on the floor. They said they were amazing. And he literally, I went to Google that because I was, I was curious to see how long is this from Kolki to Samarkand or Tashkent. It's the equivalent of walking from Miami, Florida to Los Angeles. That's the same, you're talking about over 2,000 miles, okay? They did that on foot. They pitched a few trains and they did, they did it on foot. And my grandfather used to always say, we were a day and a half, two days ahead of the Nazis. 
How did that happen? Because Hashem said, you stick up for my honor, and then you walk away from Machloket, like my great-grandfather did. He relocated the family from the western part of Ukraine, and they moved further inland, further east. That saved our family. Hashem moved the puzzle pieces. And that because of that, Baruch Hashem, my family is alive. Sometimes Hashem moves pieces and we're saying, what's going on? How does this make any sense? Why is this happening to me? Why me? Hashem's like, don't worry. I'm moving the pieces. I love you. I care for you. Doesn't make any sense to you right now, but you will see something very magnificent is about to transpire. Story number two. People do not know this, and it's so good. I always say this. Read as many biographies of Gedolim because you get to really understand the struggles that they had were so much more profound. And it's compounded when you hear a lot of the backstory. So listen to this. Many people know Oh, wow. Do you know he didn't even consider his own candidacy? He said, I don't even want to do this. Why? People were forcing him into it. They told him they needed a counterbalance to another Rav at that time. They said, they just go. Why? He said, why are you choosing me? He was in his 30s then. Rishon Letzion? I just someone comes to you and says, I want you to be Rishon Letzion. Rishon Letzion. No, no, no. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, I mean, I'm, I'm a Jewish guy and everything. Rishon Letzion. I mean, people are coming to me with the questions. Like, listen to this. Because Charam I'm putting some stories together so you can appreciate it. Charam went to his Rav, Rav Ezra Atiyah, and he wanted to be Rosh Shiva Parat Yosef. They're never going to say these words, but I'm telling you the inside story. He wanted to be. Oh, the proud alumnus. I have my Rosh Shiva. I love him like my father. He literally donned an apron and said, I want, I want Ovadia to come back to Yeshiva and learn. I want to be, I want to teach, I want to raise up Talmidim. And for some reason, the people, either they were jealous of him, who knows what, or they felt very threatened by him, clearly. They said, no, no, he can't come. And he was so heartbroken. So he went to his Rosh Shiva and said, Ravatia, what do I do? No, I want to be here. I just want to be here in Yerushalayim. I just want to sit and give Shurim. So Chama Ezra, Atiyah told him, obviously Hashem doesn't want you, but you will be back. I heard of a community in Kahir, in Cairo. I think you'd be fantastic there. So Shiva says, Ham says, don't ask any questions. Him and his wife and his young children, they went to Egypt. He had a beautiful, gigantic Bet Knesset. A lot of people came. He gave beautiful Shiorim. And then eventually, when the state of Israel was established, everyone was a Zionist collaborator, and it was absolute gain enough for people living there. Eventually, the Egyptian community collapsed and people made Aliyah. Hamavadia returned. Listen to this. Now, that's everyone knows that story. Hamavadia had a story when he was in Cairo. There was a certain Shochet who was known to be very violent. He would literally pull out the big Shechita knives and threaten people that he would stab them if they wouldn't get out of his way. It was a nut, nut job. I mean, he was crazy. And if you dare told him that this animal he did Shechita was not kasher, you put your life at risk. I mean, he was known to attack people. Crazy. And no one, could, uh, no one could arrest him because he was very high up with the authorities. He basically had it made. There was only one person who took him head on. Chamavad Yosef. You look in the Chuvot, one of his first Chuvot in, in Yabi Omer, you'll see he talks about a certain Shochet who was making people's lives misery. And he said, I had to take the guy on. No one else was willing to do it. And he was in his 20s when he did it. And the person even threatened him. He'll kill him. Hamavi says, you don't scare me. You think I'm afraid of you? I'm not afraid of you. And he showed tremendous Mesirah Nefesh to do the right thing. When the community collapsed, Hamavadiyah goes back to Eretz back to Yerushalayim. He had a wealth of experience of dealing with difficult people. So much so that this story of him willing to go down the line, he didn't care about this person because it was the right thing to do. That became 
of folklore. Everyone says, this is, this is a real rabbi. He stands up for what's right. This is what we want as a leader. So when his candidacy was submitted, the thing that stood out was, you don't mess around with Chacham Novad Yosef. How do we know? Because when he was in Cairo. In other words, that story would have never happened. When he stayed in Yerushalayim with Bachuri Yeshiva. I mean, what's the worst they could do? They broke a stender. Uh, they broke a city. I mean, like, someone took another pen. Like, what, what does that mean? Here, this showed real leadership. Willing to do the right thing and go all the way down the line. I'm not afraid of you. This is a leader we need. This is someone we want. So Hamavadi could have been so heartbroken. Hashem, why are you sending me to Mitzrayim? According to some, she thought that's even allowed to live there. I'm not, why am I going? I'm going back to Mitzrayim. Can you imagine what the Agadah Shopesach sound like? You know, Lishana Babi Yerushalayim. Hilo Mitzrayim. Get me out of Egypt, right? He's like probably wondering, what am I doing here? Hashem did that. He put all those pieces there. You got the experience. You got the notch in your belt. Okay, Habibi, let's come back. What are we going to do? Come on up. You're going to lead. You will be the leader of the Jewish people. Because everyone knows you don't mess around. Hashem does that all the time to us. He puts us in a situation that we don't even realize that from that experience, we're going to grow from that and have something that we never even imagined we had inside of us. Speak to people. They'll tell you sometimes courageous or crazy. They're like, I didn't even know I had that inside of me. Hashem does that as well. Hashem is moving the puzzle pieces for our greatness. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.